I invite you to open up your Bible to 1 Peter. If you don't have a Bible, you might be able to find one in seats around you. Underneath the chairs, you can share with a neighbor. 1 Peter is going to be near the end of the Bible. A few books from the very last one. We're going to look at a scripture from chapter 2 and then more from chapter 5. This is what Peter, the the disciple of Jesus, writes. As you come to him, Jesus Christ, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In chapter 5. And so to the elders among you of the spiritual house, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not putting dishonest gain, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all of your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. As we get ready to celebrate Easter, we're finishing our Bible in a Year series. And what we've been doing, even if you haven't noticed it over the last several weeks, we've been looking at different followers of Jesus and what they say about the way of following Christ. And so we looked at um, James, Jesus' half-brother, and what he wrote about the way of following Jesus. We've looked at several of Paul's letters and what Paul, a follower of Christ, said about the way of following Jesus. And today, we're looking at what the disciple Peter said about the way of following Jesus. And one of the background issues to Peter's letter is suffering in the church. Suffering. Because during Peter's day, as Christians increasingly began to separate themselves from Judaism or from the pagan worship of the Roman Empire... Increasingly, those Christians suffered persecution. And although in America today, and in our church today here at Hope, even though suffering might not be as pronounced as it was back in Jesus' day, or the day of Peter writing this letter, it certainly is still very prevalent. Suffering is prevalent. And each person here is experiencing some level, some level of, of suffering, whether that be a, a health crisis or 
disappointment in some area of your life, work, school, relationship disappointment, or perhaps a loved one has died. Um, it's, it's easy for us to identify difficult, major suffering, but we know that there's kind of lighter, but nonetheless suffering that we experience. Um, sometimes even that suffering may be best described as kind of comparative suffering. What comparative suffering is, it's when you look at others who seem to have a much easier experience of life, and you think, oh, man, why, why can't my life be easier at the moment? Comparative suffering. Now, Christianity does not offer a pathway around suffering, but what Peter describes is a way through suffering, a way through suffering that actually makes us stronger, healthier, better than if we were not going through suffering in our life. And the ultimate way through suffering, as Peter describes it in our scripture today, may be a little counterintuitive. Because the, the, maybe the, the normal thought is when I'm suffering, I need to, I need to pull back. I need to, I need to you know, uh, tighten in and focus on myself. But that's not what we read in, in these words from Peter. Peter gives us this counterintuitive advice. Instead of focusing on yourself and your suffering and your needs, focus on serving others. And this isn't saying that to the one suffering, buck up, soldier. You're, you know, you're unimportant. Don't worry about what you're going through. That's not what it's saying. But rather, when you show humility, when you serve one another, you help grow this spiritual house, this church, family that God is assembling. And that community, that church family, will provide strength and reassurance and joy and protection and growth under the lordship and abiding presence of the head of the church, Jesus Christ. It's his spiritual house that he's building. And this is what happens when Peter says, when members in the church demonstrate humility and service to one another. So Peter says in verse 5, I want you to open up, if you close your Bibles, open it back up to 1 Peter 5. We're going to look at two verses primarily this morning. I'm going to look at verse 5. All of you, he says, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. It's notable that Jesus doesn't just say, hey, be humble, or have humility. He says, clothe yourself with humility. Now, Peter uses a very distinctive word for clothe that, um, that presented an image that everyone who was reading this letter would have known exactly what he meant. The word literally means to tie a garment on yourself with a, with a, a, a bow or, or a knot. So you might think of in the kitchen, you might put on an apron while you're cooking. Well, it was an apron that was being referred to, but not a, not a, not a chef's apron or a or a baker's apron. Rather, it was the apron that was worn by servants in Peter's day. So he says, clothe yourself with humility. The, the mental image that Peter is giving, this clear mental image is be, be a servant. Put on your serving apron. And so Peter writes this letter to encourage Christians who are suffering to actually serve. In verse 1, he says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and witness of Christ's suffering 
who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Now, a quick word about elders here. Elders doesn't mean the older people in the church, but, but the leaders within the church. We have elders in our church that are elected by this congregation. Um, and then verse 2, Peter says, but Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So keep that open in front of you. So I find this interesting in several ways. One, this, descript, this describes the church as a place, not where you just come together for worship or to, to hear a, a sermon, but um, rather as a place for shepherding, where there is leadership. So one of the images that Jesus gives to us um, of Christian growth is, is being a sheep that is, that is being shepherded, that is being tended by a shepherd. And the shepherd protects sheep against predators. The, the shepherd feeds the sheep, providing nourishment. The shepherd loves the sheep. It isn't surprising that Peter uses this image of shepherd as he learned it from Jesus. And you might remember the story that of Jesus coming alongside Peter shortly before Jesus ascends into heaven. And he has this private conversation with Peter, pulls him aside, and um, think of Peter having boasted to Jesus earlier that he never would leave him, never, never abandoned him. And what happens? Peter denies that he knows Jesus. Three times he abandons Jesus. So Jesus knew Peter needed some shepherding in the moment. And he wanted to show Peter, I'm restoring you. I'm restoring you to being my follower and, and being a leader in the church that I'm going to build. And so he told Peter at that moment, Jesus told Peter, take care of my sheep. And actually the word that Jesus uses there is shepherd my sheep. That's the, that's the language that, that Jesus uses for Peter, shepherd my sheep. So now Peter is saying the same thing to church leaders, shepherd my sheep. But you don't have to be an elder or pastor or commission pastors for this to apply to you. This, this, uh, this applies to anyone shepherding or leading or helping or guiding or nurturing people within the church family. This, this applies to small group members that come alongside someone in the group who may be discouraged. This applies to care group leaders at our church. We have care groups Elders and deacons and ministry leaders being assigned to a group of people just to check in on every once in a while and make sure everything's going okay. This, this applies to you, care group leaders and small group participants and people that, that make friends in the church. This applies to you. Um, if someone hasn't come on a Sunday morning in a while, check up and just be a shepherd, be a leader. Just make sure that everything is okay. This applies to the concerned friend who may know that a church member has got some, some difficult or discouraging news recently. And so may need um, a moment of prayer together. Each person is in a position 
to influence, to shepherd, to lead someone else. Every person has an opportunity to shepherd. So Peter reminds them, when you provide that leadership to someone, that shepherding, there is to be one key characteristic. And it's kind of interesting. I love, I love um, properly interpreted Bible passages. As a, as a teacher, as a pastor, I think that's very important. But, but Peter doesn't say, and as you lead, make sure that you are doing so with carefully thought out doctrinal positions. That's not what Peter says. Peter says, as you shepherd, here's the key characteristic, humility in your service. Show humility as you serve. So Christian leadership, this is one thing I take from that, Christian leadership must be characterized by the way that you serve. And then if you keep looking at verse 2, and we're going to walk through verse 2 a little bit, Peter provides three statements about shepherding God's flock. Three ways to approach being servant shepherds. So first, if you look at verse 2, he says, Watch over your flocks, not because you must, but because you're willing. In other words, do not think of being a servant shepherd as a duty that you, oh, begrudgingly do. Oh, I can't believe I have to serve today. But rather see shepherding and serving as a very free and intentional act. So I take this as Peter emphasizing that we should... Uh, see ourselves as shepherds mentally, that mentally we see ourselves as shepherds. So three words you can write down first is mentally see yourself as a shepherd. In the fourth century, one of the most uh, beloved bishops of his day was Martin of Tours. Now, Martin of Tours became a Christian at a very early age, which is remarkable because his mother and father were not Christians. Mother and father, wealthy family, And his mom and dad followed the the pagan worship of the Roman Empire during that day. Martin became a Christian. Didn't make his parents happy. What his dad did is he had Martin enlisted in the army. Because during that day, the, the, the emperor of the time was known as Julian. Julian the Apostate. He was known as the Apostate because Julian wanted to turn the Roman Empire back towards the the pagan ways of the the Greek and Roman gods that they had followed for centuries. And Martin's dad thought, well, if I get Martin into Julian's army, he might come to his senses and abandon his Christianity. Now, they were a family of means, and so Martin was provided a servant to go with them everywhere he went in in the military while he was serving in the army. See, Martin mentally knew that he was a servant of Christ and therefore a servant. And so he turned everything upside down with a servant that came with him. Uh, his servant was supposed to, to, to polish, to clean up uh, Martin's boots. And Martin turned that around. And instead, Martin, what did he do? He, he was the one that cleaned his servant's boots all the time. His servant was supposed to provide him with good meals and cook for Martin while he was in the army. And Martin turned that upside down. He was the one that cooked for his his servant. See, Martin knew mentally, I'm a follower of Christ. And that means I see myself primarily as 
a servant of others. So the next little phrase that Peter says in verse 2, Peter says, Watch over your flocks, not pursuing dishonest gain, but instead be eager to serve. So another way that we should see ourselves as servants, shepherding servants, is emotionally see ourselves as, as shepherding servants. Peter asks us to consider our motives for leadership. What is the inner driving force? Is it to seek some personal recognition, some personal benefit or gain? No. Serve eagerly. Maybe the clearest way to see that word eagerly is to know that it means to show passion for for serving. Like beforehand, be passionate about being able to do it in the future. There's this willingness to serve others. Now, where does that passion for serving come from? Does it come from the love of the person that you are serving? Maybe. Possibly. Um, But if that were our primary motivation for serving, this emotional drive to serve, if it's um, out of love for another, I... I don't know if that goes far enough. That may work sometimes if we really like and love the person that we are are serving. Um, But I think that would be not very far-reaching. Because one, here at Hope Church, we don't know, or you might not know everyone in the church. And two, you know, the second one, I'm... You know, I'm not saying that this would happen here at Hope Church. may happen in other churches. But it is possible that once you get to know someone... It may be a little difficult to love them. It doesn't happen here at Hope Church. But maybe some other churches that might happen. No, that's, that's not the primary place that we, 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 we find our motivation emotionally to serve. You know, when Jesus had that heart-to-heart talk with Peter that I told you about earlier, right before Jesus ascended into heaven, Jesus didn't ask Peter, do you love others? Well, then, shepherd my sheep. That's not what he asked Peter. He asked Peter, well, well look, look at what he asked Peter. Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then shepherd my sheep. It's out of love for Jesus that emotionally, we will see ourselves. We'll have this inner drive, this inner eagerness to serve others. And then the third little phrase that Jesus, that, that Peter gives to us in verse 2, he says, shepherd your flocks, watch over your flocks. And then look at verse 3, actually, it's in verse 3. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Be examples to your flock. See yourselves as serving others. Now, this is the word I came up with. You might be able to find a better word, but morally, that, that we're this example, this, this, uh, this example of, of right living and, and a good heart for others to see and to follow. You are setting the example that undoubtedly other people will follow. 
I want you to think about uh, a leader in your life, someone that you have looked to as, you know, as a leader, that you've really admired. What makes us admire a leader? Now, we might appreciate leaders for a variety of things. We might appreciate the intellect that someone uses when he or she leads. Just, just the smarts of it. Um, you might admire the natural gifting or intuition or just the knack of knowing the right move to make at the right time. You might admire that. Uh, you might appreciate that. I'm sorry. You might appreciate that in a leader. You might appreciate how they motivate their people to a unified goal. But I think we admire a leader first by their willingness to serve and be humble. That is, that's remarkable leadership, the, the humble servant leadership. And I look at this church, and there are so many gifted individuals in this church, gifted leaders in this church. I want to suggest to you to be that admirable example of a leader that God has given this church. We do that by first humble service. We are to show the love and service of Christ to one another so that we will all catch on. And then Peter says in verse 5, look what he says, talk about how this is going to catch on. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to the elders. See, it's going to catch on. Earlier in this letter, if you were to back up a little bit in this letter, Chapter 2, Peter says, Slaves, be humble towards your master. Chapter 3, Wives, be humble towards your husbands. And husbands, you need to be humble towards your wives. Chapter 5, Church leaders, be humble towards your people. And people, be humble towards your leaders. Put on this, this servant apron and serve. See, when we see leaders serving in humility, it's just powerful and attractive and admirable and winsome and others follow. And this is how we become the spiritual house. And Peter says that we are being built together. Each person here is a living stone that Christ has assembled into a spiritual house. Now, um, having said all that, having said all that, the difficult thing is that our human nature does not make any of this easy. Another Martin, Martin Luther, this time, uh, said that fundamentally humanity is turned inward on itself. In other words, our human nature tendency is not to be focusing outward on others and how we can serve them, but rather focusing inward. How can I, how can I get someone to serve me? How can I serve myself? That's the natural human tendency bent. And when we are suffering, that can be doubly so. I mean, think about stubbing your big toe. Have you ever done that, like at night? You kick a chair or a dresser in the dark or something like that. All that you can think about, seriously. At least if you're like me, that's all you can think about, your toe and how... Watch, it hurts. Uh, and so Peter gives some final instructions on keys to 
showing humility. Look at verse 6. Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all of your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Now, one of the interesting things about these two verses is uh, the highlighted words, humble and cast. That's our English translation that I read from. But a more accurate way of seeing humble is it's, it's a passive voice. It's be humbled. Be humbled yourselves. It's something that happens to us. And then cast is it's like having cast. It's in the past. Having cast all your anxiety on him, be humbled. Having cast your anxieties on Jesus, be humbled. The second thing leads to the first thing. It's like... Bake the cake, having preheated the oven. The second thing leads to the first thing. That first thing's a very good thing. Bake a cake. Having cast all your anxiety on Jesus, be humble. How are we humbled when we cast our anxieties on Jesus? Well, if we truly cast our anxieties it depends on what you mean by truly casting. What I mean by truly casting is you cast your anxieties to Jesus and you say, now, Jesus, it's in your hands. It's in your hands. And I'm not going to bring them. I'm not going to bring these anxieties back to me to try to manage. And when I refuse to bring them back to myself to manage, I am humbled because I'm giving those things to Jesus. Instead of pretending to be Jesus, myself. There's a really interesting study that happened, I think it was back in the 1960s, um, and it was documented. Uh, and, uh, oh, what was the name of the study? Uh, Three Christs of, of Ypsilanti. I think that was the name of it. Um, there were three men that were in a psychological institution, and they, they had what we often kind of... Uh, in slang, referred to as a Messiah complex. You know, in slang, we would use that to say, ah, oh, you're acting too big for your britches. You know, you're, you're, you're acting like you're God and all that stuff. But these guys really believed that they were Jesus. Um, the, the, the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. And so the study, they documented what happened when they had these three men live together for a couple of years in this in this institution, they would get them together for conversations and they would interview them in front of one another. And so it led to some pretty funny moments. Like uh, one, of, one of the men would, would say, I'm the Messiah, the Son of God. I'm here on a mission on the earth. And uh, the psychiatrist would ask, well, how do you know that? Well, God told me. And then another guy would say, I never told you that. And you know, I had these, these kind of funny conversations. And the experiment never worked. Uh, the men didn't come to the realization that, indeed, I'm not Jesus, by being around others who thought they were Jesus. Um, That same complex, Messiah complex, can be in us to a degree when we can't cast our anxieties to Jesus and leave them with him. It's easy for us to want to be like, not to be, to be Jesus, to, to, to be God, to take hold of our life and have it go the way we want it to go. 
So uh, one thing we can write about having humility is this. Show humility by refusing to take on God's responsibility. And when we cast our anxieties to Jesus, we're, in, we're saying, this is your responsibility. I mean, not like bossing him around, but Jesus says, give them to me. I will be responsible for them. You don't have to be. Um, let, let me get one more thing. Let, let's, let's, let me mention one more thing about casting our anxieties on Jesus. Um, there is one other time that that word cast is used in, in the Scriptures. One other time, and it's in Luke chapter 19, verse 35. A story that we're going to celebrate next week on Palm Sunday. It's when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. And you might remember from that story what the disciples do. The, the, the crowd people, the crowds, they, they set their cloaks on the ground making a path for Jesus. They just they lay their cloaks on the ground. But it's not said to the disciples what they do with their cloaks. The disciples put their cloaks on the donkey for Jesus to ride on. But the word that is used is cast. The same word that Peter uses. Cast your anxieties. And what the word means is this. To throw, to hurl. They hurl their cloaks on the donkey because they knew that Jesus, riding on the donkey, that was a sign that Jesus was the king. They cast their, their cloaks because Jesus was the king. They couldn't wait for Jesus, the king, to ride in to Jerusalem. So when we say, cast your anxieties on Jesus because he cares for us, the, the image is we want to throw our anxieties to Jesus. Not just gently lay them, but throw them to Jesus. Why? Because he's the king. So cast your anxieties on Jesus. Third thing you can fill in your notes if you're doing that. Cast your anxieties on Jesus and let Jesus be king. So is there something this morning that you need to cast off to Jesus? Some worry? Maybe you're trying to manage a difficult situation for a long time and it's gotten confusing and tiring and it seems like all of your efforts to manage the situation are backfiring. Have you ever been in one of those situations? Are you ready to cast that off to Jesus and let Jesus be king? Or maybe there's some anger or tension between you and someone else that you care for very much, but you just seem to just be butting heads with one another. and You don't want to back down. The other person doesn't want to back down. And you're worried, if I back down, am I going to lose this argument? You're ready to just cast that worry off to Jesus and let Jesus be king? Maybe something is not going the way that you want it to. Maybe in your job, maybe in your work, maybe in your school, maybe in a relationship, maybe in an organization. You've ever been at church and something's not going the way you want it to go? And you feel that urge to exert some control, put on a power play, because you feel, oh, I'm in the right. But the more that you try to exert power and control, the Worst things seem to go. Are you ready to cast that anxiety onto Jesus and let Jesus be king? See, one thing about being a, a shepherding servant is that our anxieties often get in the way of us doing that. 
because our anxiety is getting in the way of us listening and loving because we're preoccupied with what we're worried about. And then we can't listen to someone else and what they're going through in the church. We can't listen and get to know someone and what their struggles are. We can't listen to someone else and ask, what can I do to, to serve you? What can I do to, to help you out? What, can, what kind of, you might not, want to, might not want to say, what kind of shepherding help you need, but you get the idea. What can I do to come alongside you and be your servant? So as we close, I want you to think about something that you can cast to the Lord. Some worry. Because the promise is when we cast our anxieties, our worries onto Christ, when we humble ourselves, what does he do? He lifts us up. He lifts us up. And he'll give you peace. And then in that peace that we receive from the Lord, then we are well-suited and fitted and built up so that we can be the serving shepherds that Peter invites us to be. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you this morning that you care for us and that you care for the worries that we bring. You care for the suffering that we go through. You know what we go through, and you invite us to not hang on to those things, drawing increasing focus on ourselves, but to give them to you. And you will bring the healing and the strength and the protection, the provision, the direction that is needed so that we can then go about this business of serving one another humbly, being an example to one another, being this strong spiritual house, this church where people can come and be supported and loved and nurtured find good friends where they can come and know that people are listening to them and will be willing to put on that serving apron and to lead with love. Um, Help us to be that, Lord, as we cast our anxieties to you. Also, will you Give us an opportunity to serve someone else in this church, to befriend someone else, to listen to someone else, to meet a tangible need. And we pray this with love in our hearts for you. We love you. And so we are willing to shepherd your sheep. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.